Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls, 1850-333-103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And today is the day that hotels have opened up for business. I'm assuming the front doors have opened already and a huge, huge sense of excitement. We are going to be uh, talking about it on the programme today. And a listener has contacted us via social media and is asking do, do do we know and I now I don't know the answer to this I'll see if I can find out the answer to it uh, if the owners of guest houses and B&Bs are obliged to inform guests if they are vaccinated and I don't know the answer to it and I straight away would think it won't be possible for every owner of every guest house and every B&B to be vaccinated because we are not through all of the age groups. We're running at about 50% of the population has been vaccinated. So you would take it from that. If you have a guest house owner or a B&B owner in the younger age cohort, they obviously haven't been vaccinated unless they have an underlying health condition. But certainly at the moment, if people are going to stay in a hotel or a guest house or if they're going to stay in a B&B, you don't have to be vaccinated. So I'm assuming the same is going to be for the people that work in any of these establishments. establishments. Uh, and I know certainly it is going to be a problem for people heading to work who are not vaccinated. Some people still a little bit nervous about it. But the hotels certainly getting underway uh, today and reading in the papers, reduced rates and free upgrades are expected uh, across the summer months because it seems 90% of hotel rooms are vacant in some counties ahead of today's uh, reopening. Summer bookings have plunged below pre-pandemic level, which is adding, adding to the nervousness for many hotel managers and owners and staff who are welcoming guests for the first time today uh, since uh, Christmas. The Irish Tourism Chief uh, Industry, uh, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation chairperson is uh, quoted in the papers uh, today, a lady by the name of Ruth Andrews. She says, even uh, by its most optimistic optimistic modelling scenario. It'll be 2026, they reckon, before the hotel industry can expect to see pre-pandemic levels of tourism numbers. And I'm assuming that's because of the overseas numbers, which is going to take many, many years to have the numbers who traditionally come to this country from overseas to have them uh, back. Dublin, by the way, is the worst hit 
they just have a 10% occupancy booked for this the month of June. Nationally 25% of hotel rooms are are booked for June 31% are booked in July and 27% of rooms so far are booked in August but when that's around the country but when you look at Dublin they have just 11% booked throughout the summer uh, months. Hotels in the southeast they're the most popular so far. Occupancy in the southeast is running for July at 57%, which is above way above the national average, almost double the national average, which is at 31%. But I think those figures will get higher, I think, as we move into the summer months. And I think some people are possibly still holding out and hoping that they may be able to go overseas. We're waiting on the the vaccine passport to come out and I think people are still weighing up their options as to what they're actually going to do. Then you're going to have other people who are going to wait to make sure that they are fully vaccinated before they start to go off on a staycation. So I think for hoteliers, I think things certainly will start to uh, pick up. A few hoteliers, according to the papers today, have increased their prices, but others, it seems, are are unlikely uh, to offer below cost rooms and that was a tactic that was used uh, during the recession and I take it they just simply can't afford to offer below cost rooms so what many hotels seemingly are going to do is they'll offer sort of add-ons and they'll give people free upgrades or you might be able to get good offers like if you book two nights B&B you might get a third night free or they might throw in a meal there'll be add-ons to it uh, as well now there has been recruitment struggles we've been we've already this week on the programme highlighted the recruitment struggle for the hairdressing uh, industry and there are certain areas where people are finding it hard to uh, get staff and it seems hospitality is one of uh, the areas where there are some struggles chefs in particular there seems to be a huge issue with uh, chefs and I think from any research I've done about chefs I think one of the big problems with chefs uh, was many of the chefs that work in this country come from other countries and obviously when the pandemic began many of them went home and they've stayed at home they haven't come back so we do have seem to have an issue around uh, uh, chefing and I take it it's across all other areas of the hotels uh, as well and one of the concerns is one that I've just touched on there is the younger seasonal uh, workers some of them are in their late teens and their early 20s many of them are not vaccinated they might be nervous about going to work if they're not vaccinated and as I mentioned when I was speaking with Ken earlier I saw one local hotelier who made the point that many young people students who would have received the pandemic payment because they lost their jobs because of uh, COVID. Some of them earned more on the pup in getting €350 a week than they would have even earned when they were working as students. And because we've had 15 months with very little opened, they have been saving all of this money. They haven't been able to spend it. So many of the young students who traditionally were scrambling to get jobs during June, July and August to put, say, towards their college living and fees for next year, many of them have this lovely little nest egg of savings and some of them might decide to say, not saying all of them will do this, but some of them may decide to say, well, look, we've been locked up since Christmas. Summer months are ahead. I'll be heading back to college in September. Why don't I have a, a, a blowout and go off and meet my friends and do some staycationing and do some holidaying and just have a little bit of fun. And I have this money inside in the bank. So there will be there could be a problem there that, that, that some areas are going to find it difficult to actually find uh, staff. And obviously the cost of reopening for hotels has been absolutely uh, colossal. Uh, the Chief 
Chief Executive of the Irish Hotels Federation, Tim Fenn, said he is hopeful for an uplift. He said the domestic market was a real positive for the tourism industry last year. And he said we expect staycations to be of massive importance again this year he says there's excellent value available across the country. Now, certainly back uh, when we were in, right in lockdown, probably around March or April, when it was looking like staycations, if you were going to have any kind of a holiday, we weren't, there was no talk of us leaving our shores to go overseas. And it didn't look like there would be any foreign travel. And people then started to look and started to look at doing staycationing and where could they get good value for money. Certainly we were hearing from people who felt that they weren't getting good value for money and their places were very expensive. And the self-catering accommodation was one area that we certainly heard from that prices had uh, gone up. I know we had uh, one group contacted us who said that they had a house booked. I think, you know, it was like a group of six people going away together and they had a house booked for the summer. It was booked for last year and it got transferred over for this year and I think if my memory serves me right, it was something like a thousand euro for the week. And they got contacted by the owner to say that, well, you have the booking, it would be going up this year. And I think they looked for another 500 euro. And they said if not, they could hold the booking and put it forward for next year and get it at the old price of a thousand euro. So the landlord was basically saying, I'm trying to make extra money this summer. So we're putting up the uh, price. So certainly there's anecdotal evidence out there for people who are booking self-catering accommodation. It can be quite uh, expensive. But hotels are saying that there's good value to be had there but I think more important than anything is there's availability because I think again word went around if you haven't booked at this stage you won't you certainly won't be able to get anything but it seems like there is uh, certainly availability 1850 at 333-103 somebody says no wonder hotels don't have a lot of booking I find them very expensive I never seem to be able to see any good uh, offers uh, I also feel staff are badly paid and maybe that's why they're having difficulty getting some uh, people uh, back to work for them. Now on the vaccine rollout if you're aged 44 the portal has now officially opened for you to register for your COVID-19 vaccine. This is the week where 40 to 44 year olds are being asked to register 44-year-olds today, 43-year-olds on Thursday, 42-year-olds on Friday. If you're 41, you register on Saturday. And if you celebrated the good, the big 4-0, which is a milestone birthday in the last year, then you will register on next Sunday, the 6th. Same system is in place as has been in place for all of the other registrations. The quickest and the easiest way is to do it online at the HSE. Dot IE or you can call the HSE live on 1850 24 but as I say the easiest way is to do it online if you're doing it online or indeed if you're doing it over the phone just to let you know you do need to have your PPS number available you need to have your air code you need to have a mobile phone number and you have to have an email address to register on at Lyme people aged 40 to 44 you will be called to a HSE vaccination centre 
ideally that's why they ask you for your air code they try to get you to the closest vaccination centre to you but ask anyone in their 60s or in their 50s that isn't always the case it seems to be more where where vaccines are available rather than what's your closest vaccination centre the majority of people though in fairness do get their closest uh, vaccination uh, centre so you'll be called to a vaccination uh, centre you will get receive a text message before your appointment about three to seven days before the appointment and you will be offered either a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. That's what's been offered to the 40 to uh, 44 year olds but it's the turn of the 44 year olds today with a reminder to anyone aged between 45 and 69 if you haven't registered yet the portal remains open or the phone line remains open if you want to register and somebody says Hi Patricia I've registered for my vaccine. Just a quick question for you please if you if you know I got a text from plus four four seven eight seven three zero double seven double with a pin to verify during the process. Is this legit? I went with it anyway, so desperate to get back to some kind of normality. Yes, it is. That's the standard number. I hadn't realised until I checked it on my own phone because I got the same verification phone, verification text when I registered uh, a few weeks ago and I checked it. Yes, it is the same number. It's the same number that actually that they used for verifying. I was doing something with the bank and then I got a code to verify and it came through on the same number as well. So yes, you, you do get that and that is one of the reasons why when you go online and you start the process that's one of the reasons why they say you must have a mobile phone number and you need to have a mobile phone number because you have to receive that text in order to proceed with your registration so you have everything done and dusted so fingers crossed within a couple of weeks and again I imagine the same advice that we've been given to people in their 50s and people in their 60s mark the date either in your phone or on your calendar at home mark the date in which you have registered and then if you haven't heard back within three weeks give them three weeks and generally speaking you will have heard within three weeks you probably will be well vaccinated within three weeks but if you haven't heard back from them within three weeks the advice we've been given to everybody is to call the 1850 24 1850 number and usually then what happens is they flag the fact that you've been waiting longer than three weeks and then normally you'll get the vaccine appointment pretty quickly after that so just make a note of your vaccination uh, day that you've registered. So well done, well done. Uh, So for 44 year olds, off you go. The portal open for you to register. A Bantry listener says, hi Patricia, I'm just back from having a COVID test in Bantry General Hospital as I'm having a tiny procedure on Friday next. So in advance of that, I needed to go for a COVID test. I was terrified at the thought of the COVID test as I have a cyst. But when I arrived, a lovely, happy friend lady greeted me. I was in the car. She was so lovely and so, so kind. Then the lady who did the test for me, her name is Floor. Don't have any more detail except her first name is Floor. Well, she was just wonderful. I told her about my problem. She put me at ease immediately. I said I'm absolutely terrified. But Floor and the other lady made a huge, huge difference to my fears. God bless them both. I hope everyone is treated as kindly as I was at 9.30am this morning. I just want to say a huge thank you to Floor and the lady who I spoke with first. And that's from a Bantry listener. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, people, I tell you, people who have been testing 
at any of the testing centres or at the hospital during the testing and people at the vaccination centres I think they have been coming out as the real unsung heroes of this pandemic because day after day after day we get texts like that in generally of late it's been from the vaccination centres with people saying how kind and considerate people were particularly if people are anyway nervous and actually talking of a COVID test the last two days and I'm hopeful that most listeners didn't even realise it. I was actually broadcasting this programme from, I have a little studio at home and I was broadcasting from home because Marsha, my daughter, would you believe on Sunday evening we got a phone call, that dreaded phone call to say that she'd been identified as a close contact and even though she is eight weeks after her first jab of AstraZeneca so within four weeks you're deemed, I thought, fully vaccinated but anyway, she hasn't had her second jab so she had to go forward for a COVID test on Monday afternoon and like that Brantry listener I was more terrified for her at the thought of what she was going to have to go through and I was doing my best to try to explain to her what was going to happen and bless her little heart she's such a brave little soul and she got tested and like exactly what that Bantry listener is saying both the guy testing and the nurse they were so kind and so understanding and she went through it and thankfully yesterday then within 24 hours we had the results back and it was negative and my gut instinct told me it was going to be negative but unfortunately when you get identified as a close contact you do have to go forward uh, for the test but the people who were doing the testing made the procedure so much more easier which is great as I say those people really are great so please God your test results will be fine and you'll go off for your little procedure next Friday and that will all go well as well so if anyone I don't know who Floor is but if anybody from Bantry Hospital if you know who we're talking about Floor and the other lady will you tell them a huge huge thank you for their kindness and tell them keep up the kindness John Paul taking your calls 1850 you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Hotels across the state have reopened their doors to the general public today for the first time this year Fergal Hart is Cork Chair of the Irish Hotels Federation and he's also General Manager of the Kingsley Hotel and uh, Fergal joins me. Good morning to you, Fergal. Morning, Patricia. Uh, is there a great sense of excitement this morning at hotels right across the city and county? Absolutely, yeah. This is this is the, the day we've been looking forward to, really. You know, so there's great there's great optimism now for the future and uh, great excitement, as you say. You know, among among the among the staff and all around the city, really, and and, and the county for all the different hotels. So, was there a, was there a lot of work had to be done to get ready for this opening today? Yeah, well, we've been, I, I, the hotels, you know, have have been closed really for between five and six months now at this stage. So it's been a really long period. And, and I think we've all been busy kind of, you know, working on our hotels, working on various kind of maintenance projects and ensuring that we're ready to go. But then over the last kind of months and, and particularly the last two weeks, you, you always have a big kind of intensive push, I suppose, just to, to get all the last the last minute work done and get the teams back on board. It's been It's been fantastic now here at the Kingsley to bring our team back and um, get them all retrained and, and welcome some new members to the team and really just focus on ensuring that the, um, that, the, that the environment for guests coming back into it now is comfortable and well set up and we're all, we're all ready to go from today. Will, what difference will there be to guests staying? 
Well, I suppose we're, we, we've been working to the, the Fall Ireland guidelines uh, for the past 15 months now at this stage, you know, through the various uh, kind of lockdowns and reopenings that we've gone through. And they haven't changed massively. You know, we've still got the, the screens at reception, for example. You've still got the sanitizers on, on tables, um, all the signs, you know, everyone has to wear masks and all all, all that side of it is, is still the same. But, you know, on the other side, I, I think there's, good optimism there now and good hope for the future that we can get back to some sort of normality and I think hotels are working hard to try and create the sort of environment that people can come back to and and really feel that they're pretty much staying in a hotel in the same sort of manner that they would have stayed in in the past in, in pre, pre-COVID. So that's just really important for us. We, we don't want people to feel nervous or concerned or, or anything like that. We want to, to reassure them, really, and, and to show them that this is an absolutely a very safe environment, a very controlled environment, and, and one they can come to and, and enjoy their break. Now, while outdoor dining for all returns next Monday, hotels are different in that residents who decide to stay uh, in a hotel, indoor dining is there. And does that also include the bar? Um, no, I, I, like effectively what, what's happening is you, you, we, we we're providing restaurant facilities. We also have a separate space here in the Kingsley, for example, which is normally or in the past would have been used as a restaurant. But that's going to be um, like a pre-dinner and post-dinner drinks area. So okay. guests will be able to, to, to book that in advance and to have a to have a drink in the same way as they always would have um before dinner and then to go back there after dinner as well um but no the the, the normal bar facilities uh won't reopen for the time being okay and of course it's only for residents staying at the hotel it's only for residents uh for for the time being on the, on the 5th of July then um the when the bars and restaurants uh, reopen then hotels will be able to welcome uh non-residents as well into their catering outlets and facilities okay talk to me about staff um Fergal has it been difficult for some hotels to hire employees yeah there's been um you know there there certainly are challenges out there you know the it, the very fact that it's been such an uncertain year for the hospitality sector generally um has led to to a situation where people unfortunately have had to leave the sector or have, have left the country as well so um you know that's that's been a challenge for all hotels and the kind of the disruptive nature of the lockdowns and we, we we would always have liked to be in a position to tell our staff exactly what was going to happen next but unfortunately none of us have, have been able to do that so it's really been a case and I think everyone has worked very hard to, to maintain their staff on their books and to main, maintain contact and communication with them and to do as much as we possibly can in terms of health and well-being and everything else but yeah the, the, the reality of it is obviously that people have drifted away from, from the industry and and, and and moved on from hotels uh, in certain cases. So it's, it's a case of, of, of trying to attract new people uh, mm. into the industry and that obviously creates its own challenges and, and that's, you know, when I, when I referred earlier to, to bringing the team back and bringing new people in, that's, um, that's been a, a huge factor for us, just trying to get everyone trained up and get them familiarised with the building and have them ready to go really from today. It, it, they can be antisocial, the work as well, with the hours, can't it? So if somebody has been offered a job that's nine to five, Monday to Friday, you can nearly understand why they decided to jump and go with that instead. Well, I, I, I suppose there, there is an element of, of, of the antisocial hours. You know, that, that really suits some people. And, uh, you know, for some of us, I suppose, and for many of us in the industry, it is a kind of a, a vocation. It's something that, that you kind of give your life to and mm-hmm. it's something we're very passionate about. And really, that's what you, you, you kind of become used to. And 
for the most part, we we don't we don't find that as as a major issue. It's it's really just getting people get getting enough training courses and and having enough courses there for for people leaving school to go into, whether it's in in chefing or or other parts of the industry. That's the real challenge, and an awful lot of work has been done behind the scenes there by by the likes of the Irish Hotels Federation, by Falcher Ireland, uh, by Sullis, by the educational training boards. Really across the across the board, you know, there's 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 been a great effort there uh, nationwide just to to create these kind of courses, whether for people who are already in the in the in the industry who can who can progress and and, and get more training and hopefully uh, move through the through the ranks within the hotels, and also to attract new people in and get them trained up. Yeah, as well. I'm of the generation that remembers the state training agency CERT. Yes. Um, yeah, what, yeah. What's what, what is that replaced by? Um, well, yeah, I, I suppose CERT was was uh, was was part of Fulch Ireland. So um, you know, the, the the colleges have taken on that that mantle, and I I was trained through CERT myself originally on a, on a training management uh, development program. They were they great courses. They were, yeah, yeah, they were super courses, and 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 that's you know there is a kind of a move back towards towards that kind of learning on the job and and um, young people coming in getting to earn money, experience the hotels, experience the job, experience the work. And it's, 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 it's a hugely in, enjoyable environment, you know. So, and then to have the, the opportunity to, to get the third level uh, academic uh, qualifications as well. So, you know, we have our own um, trainee, uh, trainee manager development program here within the Fota collection, for example, for ourselves in the Kingsley and for our sister hotel at Fota. And a lot of hotels are moving down that route and, and they're being supported, as I say, by all those organisations that I mentioned earlier. Um, the colleges are really behind that effort. Um, and, you know, so there are really good opportunities there for young people. OK, and then bookings, uh, Fergal, I, I mentioned earlier, it was uh, from the papers, they were talking about uh, bookings across, you know, June, July and uh, August. There was a, like nationally 25% of hotel rooms booked for June, 31% in July, 27% in August. Would that be reflected here in Cork? Yeah, it's, it's it's very similar. There's there's a real challenge there. You know, it's it's um, when we talk about the optimism and 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 the looking forward now um, to hopefully not having any more lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. But it it is a, it's still a challenging environment for for hotels. It's it's been in, you know, it's an expensive process to reopen like this, uh, whether it's through training or recruitment. And all the kind of physical changes that we've had to make to to the hotels to get them ready for this for this point, um, you know. So there, there there certainly are challenges out there. I think I think certain locations, you know, that are well suited for families, whether they're in coastal or rural locations, or um, you know, destinations that are that are well set up with family packages and things like that, will do well across the summer. But obviously, then they'll have their challenges across the winter. And it's kind of, I suppose, it's the opposite then for city locations, you know, where people. Um, in the past, particularly at the start of this crisis, we're, we're concerned about going to kind of city locations. Now, I think some of that has dissipated and, and, and we're certainly seeing an uptake there this year uh, here in the Kingsley in that regard. So we are, we are we are optimistic, but certainly there are huge challenges there. Yeah, because I saw Dublin in particular, I mean, they, they're running at only like 11%. People just don't seem to look on Dublin as a place to go for a staycation. But I think we're very different here in Cork. People do look at Cork much differently than they would look to Dublin. Well, I, I suppose the really bigger cities, uh, you know, have have that challenge. There's no, there's no question about it. I think Dublin will rebound. There, you know, once once the numbers start to go up, particularly for events and things like that, you know, Dublin would always have been very well set up in that regard. But yeah, I think people see Cork and, and maybe slightly smaller cities 
as being more as easier to get around you know for ourselves here in the Kingsley we're kind of located on the edge of the city so we've got good access out to the county and also for the city itself and I, I, I think yeah that, that probably is an advantage for us mm-hmm. at the moment but I think Dublin will, will, will certainly rebound in, in, in time as well but yeah you know It'll just take time it, it, it and, take and time. it's very much staycationers it's, I, it's Irish people I mean have you any hope of seeing overseas travellers this year? Um, we don't have great expectations in that regard, to be honest. You know, it's it's um, that side of things has been has been decimated, and uh, for hotels and talking about city ho- hotels and ourselves included, you know, the kind of corporate international traveller would have been extremely important for us in the past. Um, to, to to so to have seen that whole segment uh, removed has been has been a huge challenge and and is a real concern for the future too. So we're very hopeful uh, for next year, but. Uh, not really for the remainder of this year, you know. I, I I think it will take time for that to for that to return. And um, so, yeah, all, all the focus is on the domestic market and on staycations and uh, trying to ensure that we're well set up and, and attractive for for um, for Irish people really travelling within the country. Okay, well, listen, the best of luck, uh, Fergal, uh, to everybody at the Kingsley and indeed to hotels right across the city and uh, county on the reopening today. And thank you for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. you. Bye bye. That is uh, Fergal Hart of the Kingsley Hotel, but he's also Cork Chair of the Irish Hotels Federation. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance. Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. While many people were worried about the health implications of the large crowds that gathered in our cities over last weekend, it was the clean-up the following day that caused further ire, with many streets covered in rubbish. Connor Horgan of the Irish Business Against Litter uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Connor, calls for more bins to be installed. I mean, that certainly was the mantra that we heard on this programme when we discussed this issue on uh, Monday morning, where people saying, surely that's the simple answer to the problem. You say it's not. Well, I don't think it is. I mean, uh, first of all, we're talking about an exceptional event there last, uh, you know, at the weekend. And obviously, I think, obviously the scenes of litter weren't good, but I think it was in part because of the public health and public order aspect of it. Like, this was not a sanctioned event. Um, clearly, if we do have street festivals that are sanctioned, the local authority can be expected to put in place the infrastructure to manage that. That includes toilets, it includes bins. But whether that was appropriate last weekend when, you know, facilitating an event that lots of people felt should have been not allowed happen is, you know, is part of the question there. Um, but bins generally um, have fallen out of favour, Patricia, with local authorities. That's because in cities they're used they're abused quite a lot by people dumping their household rubbish. And that's because we're being charged more and more for disposing of our rubbish. So we're seeing fewer bins around the cities, not just in Ireland, but that's probably the case around the world. Certainly in Britain, that's the case. Um, and um, I'm not saying, I'm not being absolutist about it, but I'm not saying there's no place for bins. There is. Um, we've called for more bins, for example, near beaches, where there's been an absolute absence of bins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a there has to be a balance. And, you know, I read in the paper this morning um, a comment that, you know, as your mammy used to tell you, you should bring your rubbish home with you. You know, I do think that's more relevant now than ever. 
because um, if I buy my coffee cup, if I buy my cup of coffee in the morning, um, if I use a general litter bin for it, it's going to general waste. It's going to landfill. And really, that, that item should be going in the brown bin. So I would take it home so that I can sort it. And that applies to lots of the litter we encounter now. You know, bottles and be they plastic or glass, they don't belong in general litter bins. So unless we reach a point where we can sort our litter through the general litter bins, they're not the answer anyway. Because, you know, we, we're in crisis globally in terms of waste management. And part of it involves disposing correctly of our waste. We yeah, can't do I, that at the moment. And I know with beaches, I mean, we, I mean, we've got some of the most beautiful beaches in the country here in Cork. And whenever we get a fine weekend, we'll inevitably have people uh, complain about others leaving their rubbish behind them. And that always annoys me because if you're going to the beach, you know, as a couple or as a group of friends or you're bringing your family and you're packing a picnic, you bring containers with you that contains the items you're bringing for your picnic. Why you can't bring your waste home with you. I can't understand. No, and I think it's maybe because we're um, our trips to the beach because of our weather tend to be quite sporadic. I imagine if they were weekly outings, we'd get more into the routine and we'd realise that, hey, I know there's not going to be enough bins to cater for my rubbish, so I'm going to have to take it home. So I think it's maybe because the it's hit and miss in terms of how we enjoy our beaches because of our weather is part of the problem. You know, I wouldn't let the local authorities off the hook, Patricia. I think we've pointed out sometimes they can be slow in reacting to these mass exoduses to the beach. Um, And I don't mean providing bins. I mean, they're cleaning up afterwards. Um, It's not easy for local authorities maybe to tap tap into the labour resources needed at a moment's notice to have a team suddenly scouring the beach after a busy day, but we know we need to see more agile response from the authorities to keep our coastal areas clean, because as our surveys have shown, they're not clean. And then we've had complaints in from listeners saying that the bins that are already in place, they're not emptied enough. No, and that's probably true. Maybe the local authorities would say that they've been hampered because of COVID in their litter cleanup uh, activities. That was the case. I imagine now things have got back to normal, but certainly authorities were telling me, Patricia, that instead of having two people going out in a van, they would have one person, and the efficiency of that trip was compromised as a result. Um, But, you know, it's it's hard really to appraise how good or bad an authority is doing in respect to this. But um, what I I notice as well, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't be thinking too much about the events of the weekend. Over the course of the last 12 months, and we've spoken on the programme about this, we've seen a pretty rapid increase in litter levels across the country. Part of that has been outdoor activity. And, and too often, Patricia, it's not that you see people, um, people's litter lying beside a full-up bin in a park. It's that the litter is just left where it was consumed. Mm. You see bottles and you see uh, and cardboard boxes just left in the middle of the forest or in the middle of the field. And, you know, you're asking yourself, however many bins there were, would the behaviour have changed? So um, certainly part of the solution, that's obvious, but um, we do have to get into the way of thinking that we bring back the rubbish that we... uh, that we uh, generate. Yeah, and because we are going to be seeing a lot more of our socialising outside uh, this summer. Do you worry for your next eyeball survey results? 
Um, well, I'm hoping that the local authorities have got back to normal. I think the, uh, the it's good to hear that the tidy towns is back and maybe the volunteering groups are more back to normal. So I'd be hopeful from that point of view. I was on to Dublin City Council this morning. Um, we need to be mindful as well. I know the minister has said in expectation of more outdoor activity, we need to up the cleaning and up the bins. So hopefully that will happen. Um, we are talking about pedestrianising Dublin City more. With that, presumably, will come more litter as people will consume outside and hang outside in a way they haven't to date. We do need to respond to that. We do need to see more uh, regular cleaning schedules. Um, and, and let's hope that happens because uh, we're not used to outdoor activity in the form we've seen over the last 12 months. We need to adapt to it more, or those responsible for keeping our areas clean need to adapt more. Okay, when is your next survey um, results due out? Well, we have a coastal survey in the middle of the summer, Patricia, results out at the start of August. And then it'll be into September when we have our first round of results from our normal literally. Okay, and I'm glad you mentioned the tidy towns people because they are fantastic. The work uh, that Absolutely. they that they do and what a mess our country would be in without those volunteers. Connor, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that, and thanks Thank for joining us on the program. Good morning to you. That is Connor Horgan of the Irish Business Against Litter Group. We were talking about hotels reopening today. Alyssa says I'm going away to Dublin this weekend. We got a great deal. Three nights, B and B under 400 euro I'm going to Cork at the end of the month got another great deal there 300 euro the Cork one by the way has been booked since last year so there is good value out there and I've heard uh, as, as a good tip if you are trying to book into a hotel and you're looking for good value and you think it's a bit costly what you've been offered by going online the suggestion is is to call the hotel and I'm not saying you quite get into bartering but see if they've got an offer that might necessarily be available up on their uh, website 1850 John Paul taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about young people and some. Uh, industry finding it hard to get young people to go back to work because there's kind of anecdotal evidence that some young people have amassed an amount of money from their pandemic, their pop payment of €350 a week that they weren't able to spend. So they've money for the summer and they're going to enjoy themselves rather than go out to work. Well, a listener says, my niece worked part-time for a pizzeria and she was working with them before the pandemic struck. She decided to stay working with them even though her hours were going to be reduced because of the pandemic. So she worked for about €200 euro a week. She did it because she wanted to keep her part-time job. She ended up actually contracting uh, COVID. Oh, God help her. It really upset her though to see most of her friends either sitting at home as well as meeting up with other friends and drinking with others and having house parties. And many of her friends' parents thought that they were suffering and having a hard time. Well, according to my niece, far from it, they were all on €350 a week. So they were... And that must be difficult when your niece worked hard and ended up getting COVID. I'm assuming from your text she got it from work but ended up working hard for €200 and then the friends are sitting at home doing nothing getting €350 I could see that that would be a bit galling for your niece as well but you know I still think very unfortunate that she got COVID and hopefully she's made a full recovery but I think she did the right thing in staying in there staying at work and then she'll go to to keep her job when the pandemic is gone as well Another listener says Morning Patricia when the pubs and the restaurants are opening from next week will customers contact details be taken? Yeah I think contact tracing is still very much 
touch there. If so, you could be identified as a close contact at a later date. It might not be anything to do with the place, but you could find yourself then having to self-isolate for a time. Well, I think that's always the case, isn't it? When we go anywhere, you could be contact traced and that could then end up leading you to have to self-isolate. And that's going to be in place until everybody is uh, vaccinated, until you are fully vaccinated. That's the unfortunate downside to living during a pandemic. And then when you are asked to self-isolate, you do it not just to protect yourself, but to protect all those around you as well. And then people going for a COVID test due to having a procedure. We mentioned that earlier on today with our listener from Bantry who had a lovely experience going to get her COVID test in advance of a procedure she's having in Bantry Hospital next uh, Friday. Alistair says, I had a procedure done last week in Barrington's in Limerick and I'm assuming that's a a private hospital isn't it? Anyway, I was told I needed to have a COVID test but it didn't stress that I had to have the COVID test done in Barrington so I went into Blackpool where you can do the walk-in and which was nearer to me. Lovely staff there and I got my COVID test done but then Barrington said no, we won't accept that COVID test. We're only accepting the COVID test that you have done with us. I think it's a disgrace. It's a laugh in the face of the HSE. I was so annoyed. I then had to make two trips down to Limerick, one to have the COVID test done and then one to have the procedure. The same COVID test was done in both centres, the one in Barrington's and the one at the HSE's walk-in centre in Blackpool. Such a waste of people's time and money. It does. It does seem a bit galling. I know a friend of mine from Clonmel had to come to Cork to have, she was having a small procedure done and like that she had to come down on the Monday to have the COVID test and then she had to come back down on the Friday to have the actual procedure done and she had suggested could she get the COVID test done at a HSE facility because it was CUH she was going to for the procedure. Could she get it done at the HSE in Clamel? They said no, you have to come down to the hospital. So that's, it's the way. I don't know why. I don't understand why. Particularly when it was a HSE test you got done in Blackpool I would probably understand if you were going in say somewhere privately and they might say no we don't recognise tests from you know we only recognise tests from certain places but it do, it is it is but it's it's frustrating it's frustrating and it's galling for people who have to make that journey if they're outside of their area and you have to make that trip twice I absolutely can accept why you were annoyed and hopefully your procedure all went fine in Barrington's now somebody has asked me to give a word of warning to do with scams this is a West Cork listener says Hi, I'm from West Cork. I'm asking people to please be aware of scam mobile calls particularly the one that leaves a message uh, to say that they are an investigating officer and you are being investigated and you need to press one and blah 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 and all of that uh, If you answer, you if you don't answer they leave a message. I think even if you do answer, it's a recorded message is what you get. That was the one that we John Paul got here. We have a uh, a mobile phone that's linked to the programme that John Paul has and uh, he said on that work phone he got one of these scam calls and we played it out last week I don't even know if I still have it I do actually Uh, I take it it's this is the one our listener is uh, talking about Hello this call is from the Department of Social Protection this call is to inform you that there are some suspicious activities found on your personal public service number into which there is a legal case being filed and arrest warrant being issued on your name. For more information on your case, press 1. To speak to our law enforcement 
enforcement. Your law, your law, yeah, I'll be talking to your law enforcement officer, okay. And it's obviously very obviously a computer-generated uh, voice. So I think whether you answered the call, if you do answer the call, that's the message you're going to get. Or if you don't answer the call, that they leave that message uh, for you. But this listener is saying, please don't uh, answer any of those calls. If you don't know what the number is, don't answer it. Actually, I've started doing that. I, I think we're talking so much about scam calls. If I see any call from a number that I don't recognise, I simply don't answer it. But I don't know if it's only me, but this week I've had two so far, two text, separate text messages from different numbers. The first one I knew straight away that it was from overseas because it was a plus 31615 number. Uh, and the message is, your package is delayed, confirmed here, asking me to click on a link and telling me cheekily, I have 12 hours remaining. Obviously, I completely ignored that. That was on Monday. Then yesterday, I got one. Now, this one is a text message and it's from an 087 number. So it's like an Irish number because it's a plus 353087 number number 9387380 claiming to be from DHL saying we're unable to deliver a parcel today please visit and then there's a website you know, I, I would need to click on it and actually even looking at it it's got nothing to do with DHL the, num- the, the, the actual website they're asking me to click on and needless to say I didn't so I don't know if it's just me but it's all to do with packages being uh, delivered and I'm assuming they're tapping into the fact that they know so many people are ordering things online and so many people are expecting a package and if you're in a rush and your package is delayed and you see that message you might be tempted to click on the links our West Cork listeners saying please continue to warn people not to click on any of the links and not to engage in any of the people and in the paper today in the examiner Greg Murphy is writing about a number of of calls that have affected people here in Cork and I don't know if these are the same cases that Sergeant John Kelly warned us about on our Garda file last Thursday but there are reports of one woman in North Cork, wait for this, she lost €14,000. That's what was taken from her bank uh, account and that was from a text message scam. The money was stolen when the woman followed instructions on a text message. She believed that the text message had come from her bank. So now the Guardian are asking people to please spread the word in order to try to prevent fraud because more and more people, it's hard to believe, but more and more people are still falling victim to these scams and it is happening on a daily basis. The Gardaí are asking people to be aware of messages to pretending to be from your bank, from the Gardaí, from the Department of Social Welfare, from delivery companies like the ones that I'm just highlighting uh, there. Uh, and they've had a number of high valued thefts. The number of scams have worked just during the month of May. For example, one man received a message claiming that his bank account was going to be suspended unless he followed instructions on the message. And God help him, he believed it was genuinely from the bank, so he did. What happened? €3,000 was taken from the man's account. Then another woman was uh, was relieved of almost €3,500. She received a phone call claiming to be from her broadband provider, asking her to download an application onto her laptop. God help her. She downloaded the application onto the laptop and when she entered her card details, guess what happened? Within a very few short minutes, four transactions was made from her bank and in total she lost €3,500. Now, Guardian Inspector Anne-Marie Toomey is quoted in the papers today as saying, while their methods change, the end goal for the scammer is always 
the same. They are trying to access your sensitive information. They're trying to get into your bank account. And then once they get into your bank account, what are they doing? They've got their their hands on your money. Inspector Toomey said, even if they have your name, even if they have some other details, you should never give out information about yourself over the phone or by a text message or by an email. Her advice is do not click on links that they send you. Do not download an app that they ask you to download. And also do not call the number that they contact you from are the number that they might put in an email or that they might put into a text. Uh, a statement has been issued by the Gardaí. They say they've received a number of uh, scams and the kind of the more popular one that are circulating around the country at the moment include a phone call from a number. Now, this is a really, really sneaky one because the number is similar to the Garda Confidential Line. You know, the 1-800-666-111. It's a number similar to that. And when you answer that, they're looking for your personal details and they say they're pretending that they're from on Garda Siakona and they're claiming that they're investigating fraudulent activities and crimes and they're trying to protect you from the fraud and therefore they're looking for your information. There's also a person or an automated service claiming there's a warrant out for your arrest. I think that's like the social protection one that I, I played out there. There's also another one doing the rounds to say, listen to this one, that your DNA has been found at the scene of a crime and they're asking you to make a payment to prevent further action. Dear God, they will think of anything. There's phone calls and messages from scammers claiming to be an official with the Department of Social Protection and they're telling you that your PPS number has been compromised. All rubbish. There's calls and emails and correspondence also from sports clubs advising you of a change of their banking details and they're requesting new payment information. So you just need to be so uh, careful. And Inspector Toomey is asking people to please spread the word. People of all ages, people from all walks of life are falling victim to fraud. And she says it's happening on a daily basis. And the guard that you're advising anyone who thinks they may have been a victim of, of any of these fraudulent messages or any of these fraudulent calls to please contact their local guard the station and make a report. And therein, I know, lies the problem because some people are embarrassed about the fact that they got caught out, that when they get caught and they realise, I should have known better. Some people get caught and they've had suspicions, but they play along thinking, no, I think it'll be okay. And then when they do money is taken out of their their account they're too embarrassed to go forward so please don't be embarrassed about it these scammers are good at what they do because if they weren't so good at what they do they would have been they would have gone away a long time ago but they're making a lot of money uh, about it so please be alert just be alert I certainly would not I don't even answer a call now from a number that I don't know because I'm thinking if it's somebody genuinely trying to get through to me they'll either send me on a text message or they leave a message and I'll be able to find out for sure who, who the person is but any unsolicited emails or text messages just be suspicious and if you think that it may be from your bank and you think or you may be on Garthashire Corner trying to get through to you or, or maybe like that a sports club is trying to get through to you then contact whoever that different relevant agency is but contact them on a number that you genuinely know is a number that can either get you through to your bank branch that can get you through to your local guard station or if it was a GAA club or something the number you would normally call the GAA club uh, on never ever entertain or use the numbers that they are the links that the scammers sent on to you. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
West Cork Electrical Wholesale, they're based in Clonakilty. They're looking for an accounts assistant uh, and an office administrator. Mallow Print have a vacancy for a full-time admin assistant. It's to include reception and accounts. Bandon Co-op, they're looking for a milk collection driver and a full-time Arctic driver is wanted. That's to work in the Bandon area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Well, I don't seem to be on my own with the scam text. So many people saying that DHL one I got, lots of people saying he got the very same uh, text uh, yesterday. This seemed to be, it was yesterday I got mine uh, as well. Lots and lots of you, I can see, uh, texting it in. And Catherine in Mallow says, Patricia, I got three texts on Monday alone. All of them similar to you as trying to deliver parcels to me. One was actually even from, it says it claimed it was from Royal Mail. And that's from Catherine in Cork. Thank you for that, Catherine. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now, it was announced this week that Irish Sign Language is among the languages being offered to primary pupils. It's in a new pilot project that will involve at least 100 schools. Andrew Geary from Ballyhooley has been a great advocate for Irish Sign Language and he knows the importance of this language as his own son Callum was born deaf. Andrew Geary uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Patricia. Now, were you aware of the introduction of this pilot project? No, un- until we saw the press release yesterday from the Department of Education. I don't think anyone was aware that this was coming and it's a, a very welcome addition to the primary school uh, curriculum. So I'm I'm happy to see it, Patricia. Now, and what happens? From what I can gather, schools need to apply if they'd like to get involved in the pilot project. Yes, uh, a few schools were in contact with me yesterday and there's a link there on the Department of Education website and typical of anything, there's a form to fill out and you just explain why you would like this and what benefits this scheme would have to your primary school community and outline hopefully where you're going to get the teachers for the ISL rollout within within your primary school. What would it mean to your son Callum to randomly bump into another child on the street who could sign to him? Beautiful. Absolutely it would add to the brilliant inclusion and the that's, I think that's the huge benefit of this over six weeks. And young children take the sign language very, very well, as they do to any language that's ever taught with a bit of passion and a, a, a bit of in-depth knowledge. I do believe children want to to learn languages and just to have a few signs. Uh, Callum often goes playing with his twin brother, his hearing brother, and just for a few of the lads that would be playing soccer with him, it would be great to have a few Fantastic. people just knowing the signs to say hello how are you today good good shots and stuff like that yeah uh, yeah just the, like yeah, that and, would, would benefit and, any community and what I love is you know the fact that the whole class would learn it because as with any language uh, practice makes perfect uh, they'd be able to start signing to each other by way of practice definitely and the teachers I've no doubt would then introduce the children there's a number of resources online including one or two apps that you can get for your mobile phone. And there's a number of brilliant tutors that are running 
Zoom classes and they might introduce that child or a child that just is natural at languages to go that step further than the six hours over six weeks. And some children just, as we both know, just take an absolute passion for particular subjects. And we've already seen snippets of that in our own lives. Donica or Matthew would have stood up in class at different times with their primary school teachers and been asked to just show the alphabet and children love that mm. and it would definitely be something that would help the hearing community again awareness is education and if nothing comes out of it other than a few extra steps of awareness and displaying diversity to the kids in the classroom and it'll open doors open eyes hopefully where children will hopefully want to go out and receive a greater depth of knowledge and participate maybe in in the deaf community in the future. Is it an easy language to learn, Andrew? The same as any language, Patricia. You have to be passionate about it. And the problem in Ireland, and your listeners would know this, is that we've allowed our minds to be colonised. Even though we're a free nation for 99 years, English has colonised our minds and that has become part of our education system. And unfortunately, it's part of our almost DNA that we have to have English to allow us to travel abroad and that is our fallback position. Whereas if people wanted to embrace Irish Sign Language with a passion, an open mind, I never thought I was good at languages going to school, Patricia. And because I'm passionate about it, I love the language. I see how beautiful it is. Now I can speak true sign language with any person on the island of Ireland. And it just it's just about believing in the language and just throwing yourself into the deep end. You have to go and meet the native speakers with any language. And that's the one thing I did learn that I probably didn't do with Irish and French at primary and secondary school. Helen and I and our family went and sought out the fluent native speakers and Helen is just absolutely unreal at sign language and that's because we we threw ourselves into the deep end, watched the videos, watched the signing news, but it's all about believing in that language. Mm. You can't learn a language with a wall between you and even, I I said this to you before, I, I am very average languages, but when I went and learned Irish as a spoken language and French as a spoken language in my training 20 plus years ago in my job in Angarchiacana, I was able to speak those languages because I had the basis and I was just sometimes I just feel, as I said, our minds have been slightly colonised and we still have that English programming in us. We need that crutch just in case. Whereas you look, if you go and throw yourself into a language with passion, you learn it far easier. Then the, the staccato and the stop start eases away and the flowing begins. And you're right when you say it's a beautiful language. There is, uh, there's nothing like watching two deaf people chatting. Oh, it's, it's mesmerising. Yeah. We have that at home. Helen and Callum just chat for hours and you should see the two of them just and there's a Beautiful. It's like a river flowing and I've seen that at different events I, I go and attend and that's and that's something I hope the Department of Education might get out of this as well, Patricia, because their knowledge of sign language is very, very is very uh, shallow, let's say. And perhaps now, thanks to Minister Norma Foley, she's opened the door and perhaps now there'll be other steps taken that there'll be a full primary school curriculum 
or that you could do it, as I said, on the late, late a few weeks ago and the junior sort of leaving sir. Why not? Do it as a language. Why not? Do it yes, as a language, yes. yeah. Yes. But the yes. problem and um, when you said, you know, about schools who would like to sign up for this pilot project and to go to the Department of all of that and then it'll be up to the schools to try to source an ISL teacher. Will that be a problem? Are there enough ISL teachers? Yes. If It's only 100 in across the country with a pilot and look at it, it's there's 100 multiplied by six hours. So, like, there's you could, there's been a huge increase in, you know, thanks to you and thanks to other people in the media, there's been a huge impetus of, of interest in the language over the last few weeks. And there's hundreds of people that can deliver that, especially the Centre for Deaf Study graduates, Cork Deaf Association have teachers, Kerry Deaf Resource Centre would have teachers. You've got teachers in the Irish Deaf Society, in Dublin, Chime, the other national deaf charity, there is the uh, the register of of Irish sign language interpreters and teachers in in Dublin through the Deaf Village Ireland. If any school in Cork or Kerry are successful, all they need to do is touch base with the Cork Deaf Association, the no Resource Centre, and they will help you source that. And let's say we've twenty six counties. If there's four schools are successful per county, well then that's four tutors you need. There's tons of tutors there that Brilliant. are out there that will 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 just love to introduce that to a primary school classroom. And and I remember you were involved in, in the campaign and, and I know at the time I interviewed you, Irish Sign Language was recognised, wasn't it, as an official language back in, yes. was it 2017? Yeah. yeah, and the Act was fully commenced yeah. by President Higgins on the 23rd of December last year. It's still uh, an upward battle, Patricia. Yes. It's very, very disappointing. You, I can remember you having me on and you asking me questions and said, Andrew, you're not celebrating. I'm a pragmatist, Patricia, and I do believe in our country. I really do believe in our democracy. And I, But just sometimes there's pause buttons put on and there's been a huge pause button put on the implementation of that act by and the deaf, as I've said numerous times in the past, are living in an isolated bubble denied full citizenship in this country and I've often said about our own family's battle with the Department of Education trying to get Callum full access to Section 5 in the Irish Sign Language Act. I helped write that. I helped Senator Mark Daly look up the Shannon and the Irish Deaf Society and the other various deaf charities put that act together. I gave hundreds of hours in 2016, 2017 of my own time and still we're we're hitting a pause button a lot so of the time. Unfair. And you feel, and you know, Patricia, you're, you're advocating for parents for a long, long time. And you feel like you're one hand clapping and you're waiting for the nation to clap back against you. And the ordinary decent citizen wants to do that and wants to give our children and our citizens full, full, full citizenship. But it's just that, uh, again, I go back to the point I made earlier. It's almost like our minds have been colonised and we forget we can be our own thing. We don't have to follow the models of democracy that go on in the UK or elsewhere. We're, we're our own people. Let's be a shining light rather than following models that have been set elsewhere. And let us have a model of equal education. Democracy can succeed without an education. It's the greatest safeguard for democracy is education. And everyone knows that education makes people 
better people. And it's for me, education is the single most powerful word in the English language, Irish language, any language in the world. And it just teaches our children that this is you and this is who you can become and teaches our children to define themselves as part of something better or wanting to make themselves something better. And what is the population of the deaf community in Ireland? There are 5,000 first language users whose primary and main source of communication is sign language. And then there would be people like Helen and I, 40,000 more people who can who sign, can sign would yeah, be on the yeah, edge of, yeah. of the deaf community. In the primary school system and secondary school system, there's only 77 children like Callum now, according to the National uh, Disability Inclusion Survey released in January this year. So some of those kids are like him, not getting full access to the curriculum. And that's that's a huge uh, linguistic uh, and it's wrong it's, 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 it's simply and wrong it's, and like, yeah, and I don't know I don't know if you're the Irish language indeed yes. yeah yeah yeah. You're so, you're so right and I don't know if you're across this but in the UK uh, British Sign Language is going to be used to deliver passenger information at train stations pre-recorded yes. messages will be used to communicate announcements that are usually made over the tannoy and of course an announcement made over the tannoy is of no use to somebody who is uh, deaf the technology has been rolled out at London's Euston station from today isn't that fantastic yeah, that's, and that's brilliant and again a and simple thing a simple yeah, and, enough and, thing to do yeah, and COVID has done us a favour in the deaf community in that our Taoiseach and Neffet have always had interpreters there during the last, let's say, 15 months. And that's been a huge step forward for our country, that sign language has been there up front and centre. But as you said, that's a simple thing that people don't think about. Our deaf community are, are just left at the edge and their literacy levels have often much poorer than their IQ as we've discussed in the past and and there's no need for that there's absolutely no because because being deaf or hard of hearing does not in any way uh, equate to your level of intelligence and it it shouldn't and it shouldn't in any way stop you getting uh, a formal and proper education Andrew listen we leave it there let's hope that this is is a step in the right direction and that we'll be talking about it more into the future but in the meantime thank you for that and and, and I'm waving my hands clapping to everybody in the deaf uh, community but, but particularly to everybody in your household Andrew Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Andrew Geary, as I say, a fantastic advocate on behalf of Irish Sign uh, Language. And I, w- I really hope that a number of schools here in Cork decide to sign up for that new pilot project uh, where young people in primary school will be able to learn sign as part of their curriculum. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, Irish beekeepers have been called upon to take part in a research project following news that the Asian hornet has arrived in Ireland. The project has been led by UCC researchers and joining me from UCC is Simon Harrison. Good morning to you, Simon. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. What are your concerns about this Asian hornet? Our main concerns are that it represents a, a, a real risk within Europe to uh, honeybees, both uh, the, the, the bees themselves and their production. 
the Asian hornet is uh, is not native to Europe. It arrived from, we think, China in France in about 2004. Uh, it was a, probably a queen that was hopping a lift in some <laughs> pottery. They they hibernate. They seek to hibernate in autumn in little crevices like wood and, and pottery and things like that. And one of these was imported into France. And uh, out came the queen and, and found southwest France very much to her liking. And uh, she laid the eggs and uh, she made a nest. And, and basically the species has spread greatly uh, from, from the point of entry into the whole of southwest France. And now it's spreading into Spain and Portugal. And it's now in uh, Belgium, Netherlands and Italy and Germany. It's also uh, hopped across the channel and is occasionally found in England. Um, so the recent, of course, concern is that a, a, a queen turned up in Dublin just uh, last month. And the concern is that this could herald uh, the invasion of Asian hornets into Ireland uh, with, with uh, implications for the honeybee industry. And um, when you say that it's already, you know, quite widespread in Europe, what impact has it had on beekeeping in those European countries? Well, yes, it, it is widespread in Europe and in areas where it's very abundant, um, it, it does have an impact. It, it, it can take 30 percent, up to 30 percent of the, of the bees from a hive, for example. The, the hornets, unlike uh, wasps that feed largely on carbohydrate, hornets are very um, avid predators of other insects. So they can, they can kill and uh, a lot of other insects and feed them to their young in the nest. And the Asian hornet is a particular specialist on the honeybee. So if you do get a large numbers of these Asian hornets in an area, they can, they can take a lot of the honeybees to feed their young. I should say, however, that although we do have now the Asian hornet confirmed uh, as arriving in Ireland, it hasn't established. We don't think there's been any nests established. Uh, so the species isn't here yet. And in the UK they do get the Asian hornet turning up from time to time. Um, these are usually queens that either fly across the channel or are brought in via imports. They will start to build nests, but the nests in the UK are quite small and they don't lead to uh, the Asian hornet establishing. So we think the climate in, in the UK and certainly in Ireland is not uh, conducive to large numbers of the Asian hornet. OK, but obviously the, the main thing is to try to keep these hornets out of the country. By the way, do they pose any threat to humans? Not really. Well, any more than a wasp. OK. Uh, the sting is like a wasp. And uh, they're not actually that aggressive. Um, they don't usually occur in great swarms like wasps do. You know, you, 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 you go around the apples or the uh, jam in, in summer and you can get you know, picnics and you can get stung by wasps. The Asian hornets wouldn't be as uh, common as the wasps. So you're much less likely to get stung by them. They're not particularly aggressive. And the sting, for most people, is no worse than a wasp. So they okay. don't represent a great risk to humans, no. OK, what are you asking beekeepers to do then? Well, we're asking beekeepers to sort of send us uh, any information they have uh, as, to, as to whether they're aware of the Asian hornet and, uh, you know, what precautions they might take um, if it does get here. Um, it's really an awareness-raising uh, issue. Our colleagues in um, Spain and Portugal and France are doing a lot of research on in areas where they have the Vespa on how best to uh, manage them. I mean, once they're here, well, not in here, but once once they're in a place, really, they're in a place. And, and the UK is take, take great steps to eradicate them. 
But in the continent, that's all but impossible. You simply would have to remove too many of them. So it's a question then of educating beekeepers to learn how to deal with Vespa. And that is in changing your hive design to prevent the, the Vespa coming, uh, the, the hornet getting access to the hive, and um, perhaps trying to eradicate the hornets from an area around the hive. So it's very much a case of managing the issue rather than trying to, to get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the warning flag now has gone up. The fact that that one was found in in Dublin. Let's act now so that we don't end up with the problem they have in Europe. Because I'm assuming, are they in Europe trying to get rid of this hornet? Well, that's a good point. Um, this is a, a, an important topic for the discussion with our partners. They no, in all honesty, you can't get rid of them. The, the cat's out of the bag. Um, in, the, the, the numbers are too great. They're trying to reduce. The, um, the numbers of the nests, the density of the nests in sensitive areas, what they've found is that um, they just can't get all the nests. They're, they're hidden, they're cryptic, they're underground, they're on top of trees. So you can go around destroying nests and, and causing a lot of destruction to other species as well because the European hornet, which is a native species, uh, can be confused and their nests get destroyed. So trying to eradicate the Vespa by, by insecticides and by all kind of you know, by trapping the the, uh, the adult insects in big traps, that can kill a lot of other native insects. It's probably more destructive um, than it warrants. In the UK, where uh, th- these nests arrive periodically, vigorous eradication efforts have kept it out. And of course, the same would be true for Ireland. If a, if a nest does appear, uh, very great steps will be needed to, to, to keep it out. If you keep it out to start with, uh, you can probably keep it out altogether. Yeah, we, won't, we won't have the problem that other European countries are having. Correct. Okay, and the final question, a couple of people have asked, and I was going to ask it, how would a beekeeper identify an Asian hornet? What does it look like? It looks well, at all intents and purposes, like a big wasp. Uh, it's, it's bigger than a wasp and it's blacker. Okay. So it has a black thorax and a largely black abdomen with a yellow tip. Uh, we don't have the European hornet in Ireland, which is a similar, again, like a very large wasp, but a little bit browner. What people might confuse it with, and this has been the case for, for a lot of the time in Ireland, is uh, they might confuse the Asian hornet with the greater horntail wasp. And this is a large wasp. It's entirely innocuous. It doesn't sting. It's it, 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 uh, it attracted to, to um, freshly cut wood. It's called the wood wasp, and it, it, it basically bores into the wood to lay its eggs. And these large wasps do have a black thorax, and they also have a large projecting ovipositor uh, coming out their abdomen, which looks, to all intents and purposes, like a large stinger. So people think, there's a large animal, it's got a large stinger on it, that must be the, 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 the hornet. Um, but it's not. Okay, so if it has a large projecting uh, stinger from its abdomen, uh, that's the horntail wasp. And it's totally nat- native, it's totally innocuous. Uh, but the Asian hornet um, is, is like a large wasp uh, with, with a black abdomen, a black thorax, I should say. Okay, so keep, keep well away. All right, keep listen, away from okay, listen, Simon, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Simon Harrison there who joins us from uh, UCC, one of those researchers trying to keep the Asian hornet out of the country. Uh, We will be talking all things gardening in the next hour with Peter Dowdles. If you have a question for Peter, you can get that into us, please. 1850-333-103. Text to WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We'll take a look at your calls and comments coming in, including somebody who's very annoyed with Nathan Carter because Nathan Carter has 
just been fined for breaking COVID guidelines. We'll find out more about that after news at 12. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, some of your texts and comments coming in. Keep your questions and calls coming in for Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener. He'll join us later on in this hour. Uh, But hi, uh, Patricia. I missed the conversation earlier about scam calls and texts, particularly the one about parcels. Well, I got a call and yet again this morning, a text message. Uh, Sorry, I got a call and yet again this morning, another call. When I answered, they hung up uh, immediately. It was a 3438 number and a plus 35. Definitely, they're in, they're international numbers. I can I can see straight away from the the numbers. Anyway, straight away after both calls, I then got a text message. I fo- I'm forwarding you photographs of both texts. If I just opened the contact in the text, what could happen? Is that dangerous? I'm confused. I haven't sent a. I I I I was confused as I was sent a parcel last week, but I checked first to see if my parcel had arrived, and it had. But uh, the, are these scams? It's a North Cork listener. Yeah, one is the Royal Mail one saying we're unable to deliver a parcel and the DHL one, with, that's the very same one that I got yesterday saying we are unable to deliver a parcel. Yeah, they're both scams and clicking on it to look at it won't do absolutely anything. What they want you to do is, is to click on the link below the HTTPS, the website. That's what they want you to click on. Just delete both. And I don't know what kind of a phone you have, but if you have a smartphone, then you'll be able to block them. But you could be blocking phones you could be blocking phone numbers all of the time but at least by blocking those two you won't get any more from that number but that's not to say that they've got loads and loads of different numbers that they are uh, using but they're both scams so just a delete and then somebody else says and this is where everybody's worried about scams somebody says could you, hi Patricia does anybody know does the Department of Social Protection send out a text message to say a phone call meeting will take place re employment. It was from an 087 number. And I simply don't know. It is very possible that the Department of Social Protection, you know, where before they would be calling people in for meetings if people have been unemployed for a certain period of time and trying to help them find work. So it's very possible that because they're not doing those face-to-face meetings because of COVID, that they're now doing them over the phone. I don't know, maybe they're doing them over Zoom. So it is very possible that you will be getting a phone call to talk about your unemployment situation at the moment. But I straight away can understand why you're nervous and why you're getting a bit suspicious, wondering, is this somebody trying to scam me? So what I would suggest you do is, because I don't know where you're texting from, call your local Department of Social Protection, the local number, whatever town, if you're you're in a village, the nearest town to you, and check it with them. Give them the number and ask them. Because there's no point saying call the number back, because if it's a scam, then... All you're doing is calling the scammers back. But let's see, has anybody else received a text message from an 087 number saying that it's the Department of Social Protection and asking, arranging for you to do a phone call meeting, uh, re-job employment? If anybody can help us with that, please. 
please uh, pass on any information that you may have because I'm assuming many others, if it is genuine, many others would have received the same uh, text. And then a very interesting thread arrived in from Stephen, one of our listeners, to say, hi Patricia, maybe you or your listeners could shed some light on this. Has anybody else noticed the increasing air traffic over the Donnerail Mallow Town area? It's a small twin-engined aeroplane over and back constantly. I've been noticing it, said Stephen, for the past 12 months. It flies at very very low speed and very low altitude over the town. Now, I've been on to the Irish Aviation Authority and they say it's not the TELUS, you know, the government surveying plane. And in fairness to, to the TELUS, that surveying plane, whenever they're in the area, they normally email us because we'll end up getting loads of calls. And there's a low flying plane. Is somebody trying to see? Am I burning rubbish in my back garden? What's going on? And so they always warn us in advance. It's the geology survey that they're doing. So anyway, Stephen checked straight away and said, no, sorry, it's not the TELUS surveying plane. But the Irish Aviation Authority say they have no idea at the moment who is the pilot of this plane. Has anybody else noticed this over the past year? Mallow, Donnerail area, a twin-engined plane in the sky several times a day. It appears to Stephen to be taking the same flight path over and black back and Stephen says please see video that I took last night at 6pm. This was the fifth time yesterday that this happened said uh, Stephen and Stephen said he got back onto the TELUS, the government survey this morning and they say they're nowhere near Cork at present, they're actually in Tipperary and they actually stopped flying at 1 o'clock yesterday so it definitely isn't them. I filmed the plane last night at 6pm, it made six passes over and back and then he was back with another update to say I was on to the Irish Aviation Authority and they say I'd have to go through freedom of information to access the information isn't this uh, strange so John Paul went on you know that flight path where you can see planes and it'll identify the planes he reckons he found the plane and it's privately owned so it's obviously somebody in the area that has their own plane why they're flying over and back I don't know maybe they're clocking up hours to get their pilot's licence I don't know if there's anybody but it has uh, have, have other people noticed that it's a small twin engined plane and Stephen reckons over the last year it has been in the sky a lot particularly in the Mallow uh, and seems to go between Mallow and uh, Donnerill 1850-333-103 other texts coming in we were talking about young people on the pandemic payment and one hotelier felt that it's actually stopping young people from going and getting summer work because they've built up a kind of a nest egg of money from their 350 pop payment since the pandemic hit last year and therefore they don't need to work this summer because they have all of this money saved. Patricia, we have a family member, student, who had a Saturday job at the time, the start of the pandemic, and therefore Saturday job went and they got the pop payment. Brilliant. €350 a week. Not so. The amount of online shopping that went on by this student, Zoom parties, having a glass of wine with the friends. Well, after a month of this, she was very quickly told, get out and get a job and help out as she was young and healthy. So she got a job almost immediately. She was basically told by her mum and dad, we're paying for your pup. They're both working front line. There you go. There's an incredible group of parents who said you're not sitting at home on your laurels doing nothing with the €350 go get a job and she did Hi Patricia this is Martin in West Cork says I'm not mystic Meg but I can read the future practically it'll be decades upon decades before the €220 billion national debt is paid by this country there will be a lot of hardship and suffering by the time the national 
debt is paid off. I have a view on this. Why don't they simply write the debt off and start all over again? In fact, could they not do it worldwide? Go from scratch. Let everybody go back to zero and get rid of all of the national debt because, you know, we're not the only one with with huge national debt. It's going to cause poverty and uh, turmoil, says uh, Martin. And that kind of ties in with all of those pop payments while they've been great and they were so, so badly needed. They will all have to be uh, paid back. Thanks for that, Martin. 1850 We were talking about lack of bins. Texter says there's always been a problem, re lack of bins. And this was happening in this country before uh, COVID. I've been regularly to beaches and there were never any bins at beaches, especially when people then were able to get out and about and have their walks. People started to notice the lack of uh, bins. Um, when people are out walking on the roads, you can see rubbish dumped all over the place. Why can't we be like they are in other European countries where I have seen wire containers which will just take plastic bottles. Only a plastic bottle will fit in. And this will stop people abusing them because that's the excuse that's used in this country not to put out more public bins because people abuse them. Well, here's a type of a container that will only take your plastic bottle. These are huge, big containers. And then you also see recycling facilities around the country. There's one in Kinsale where they take all clear bottles. I've seen ones shaped like animals to encourage children to put them in. I'm assuming this is outside of Ireland, especially at uh, the beach. We have so much stuff going into our sea and the amount of pollution it's causing. Yeah, it really is shocking. Morning, Patricia. You were on about passports on your programme yesterday. Well, listen to this. I applied for my passport renewal 10.30 on Monday morning. I received it yesterday at 10am. That's less than 24 hours. Surely that's a record. That's Pat from Kilmichael. 23 hours and 30 minutes from applying online for a passport. Pat in Kilmichael has his new passport. That I think, yeah, don't think anyone can beat that, uh, Pat. Well done. Hi, Patricia. This is from John. I got my first vaccination in Killarney. On Sunday, the question I, ha- I, I have for you is, why do they ask you for your air code when you are registering for your vaccine? I'm from Ballyhooley. I passed the vaccination centre in Mallow. I then met people from Lismore, from Tallow, from Ballyduff Upper, from Castletown Roach, all down in Killarney to get their vaccine. This doesn't make sense for people to have to travel two hours or more when there's a vaccination hub in Mallow. I was delighted, by the way, to get my vaccine. But why do we have to travel so far? Well, we've asked before because you're not on your own, John, and you're right. So many other people you'll meet when you go on your day trip to Canarney. And it's to do with stocks of vaccines. It's to do with how many vaccines they have, how many people can they vaccinate. And they just send people when one vaccination centre is filled they then send people on to the nearest vaccination centre to them. So it's a little bit like it's the look of the draw and it's computer generated. It isn't somebody sitting down and deciding you're in Ballyhooley. I'll send you to Killarney. It's the, it's the nearest after your closest one is uh, filled. That's the, the answer uh, we got. 1850-333-103. But well done and you're on the road to being fully vaccinated, which is the real good news. Hi, Patricia. Do you have to have the COVID app in order to be contact traced? No, we were talking about contact tracing if, say, you were going into a restaurant or you were in a hotel and they had, they had an outbreak and the contact tracers 
contact the person who had tested positive and if you're identified as somebody who was sitting closely or in the company of the person then you'll be contacted that way so no you don't have to have the app. Mavis says I think we should be grateful that hospitals are actually carrying out procedures. Back in January my husband was having a cataract operation at the South Infirmary. We live in Clonakilty. We had to travel to the other side of Cork to get a Covid test beforehand. It coincided with the time when the roads were quite icy. However we drove there and back and then we had to go back to the hospital two days later for my husband to have his cataract. I believe they use a particular testing centre at the hospital as the results are sent directly to them which to me seems very reasonable says Mavis to people who are giving out when a hospital asks ask you to go to a particular back to either the, the hospital or to a particular place. Uh, Mavis's line is we should just be darn glad the procedures are going on at all. 1850 333 103 uh, John Paul taking your call. Jackie from Two Pot House says, Patricia, I too have noticed that plane that Stephen has contacted you about. It flies over my house at least six times a day and that can be seven days a week. I was always of the belief it was trainee pilots from the flying school at Cork Airport. Now that makes sense. That's probably exactly what it is, says Jackie from uh, Two Pot House. And the reason that you're seeing it so much, it isn't necessarily the same pilot. It's somebody going out either on a lesson or somebody clocking up their hours. That's probably exactly what it is. Thank you for that. We should have thought of that one. And that's, uh, I hope you're having a good day. That's Jackie in Two Pot House. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Glamworth Community, they're currently fundraising to help a local family that we spoke about yesterday. This is the Noonan family when their fire was destroyed last week. If you'd like to donate or contribute in any way, Jason is your contact at 86 036-8353. Kildari Home Bingo Books, they're on sale in the usual outlets and this week's snowball is €300. Euro. And Dunmanway Community Meals, urgently looking for volunteer drivers to help deliver meals to older members of the community in and around the Dunmanway area. If you could spare two hours per day on Monday, Wednesday or Thursday, can you please call Madeline O'Brien, who is the service manager of Dunmanway Community Meals on 023 68110. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. That plane that Stephen spoke to you about, says a listener, passes over Botafant daily several times uh, a day. And it seems to take the same flight path uh, also so lots of people have, have uh, spotted it somebody said it's so noisy um, that I was afraid one night and it seemed to be so low I thought it was going to come down one another listener says Hi Patricia you get an email from Social Welfare to say you have a notification in my welfare account and when you go into my welfare account it seems Social Welfare are now contacting people who are on the PUP payment the pandemic payment they're doing it this week to see what they're doing about getting a job but Mary says I haven't heard of anybody getting it by text but it's certainly Mary got 
got an email about it. So uh, to the other listener who got it by text, uh, maybe they don't have an email. I don't know. Uh, it's still worth just checking in with the Department of your local social welfare office to see uh, if you are due to uh, receive a call. And hi, Patricia, on the topic of scam calls, I received a call last week and didn't answer the call as I didn't know the number. They rang again and it went into my voicemail. So I listened into the voicemail. The voicemail turned out it was my mother's alarm calling from their centre to say she'd had a fall. I felt terrible for not answering the call. Says Mary, and see, that's that's the way we're gone. That literally is the way we are gone. We are gone suspicious of any call that pops up if you don't know the number. And that's but you did the right thing because they leave a message and then you can listen to the message and you'll know for sure if it is uh, somebody who is trying to contact you are uh, not. Uh, Janie also saw that uh, plane in the park in Donnerell Monday when the plane passed over it was flying so low the noise was deadly thought it was going to come down on top of me says uh, Jenny and a listener says Dennis Patricia absolute disgrace out of Nathan Carter breaking Covid guidelines is it one rule for us and one rule for others and the elite he won't be seen any more of my money kind regards says Dennis and this is a story that literally has just broken this morning it was police in the north attended the home of country singer Nathan Carter who's much much loved all over the country it was last week and it was in relation to alleged breach of Covid-19 protocols it's, it's the Irish News are reporting this they say that the PSNI attended Nathan Carter's home in County Fermanagh last Friday night. The PSNI confirmed that police received a report in relation to a house party and a suspected breach of the Health Protection Coronavirus Restrictions Regulations pertaining to Northern Ireland. It was it was at half ten last Friday night. Officers attended the address. There was at least 50 people present. Enforcement action was taken, including the handing out of 14 COVID-19 fines, £200 sterling. And then there was one COVID-19 £1,000 fine. And a COVID prohibition notice was also issued to the PS and I said further enforcement action is expected. Nathan Carthus management have been contacted for comment and a statement is expected later today. According to the COVID-19 restrictions in the North, up to six people from no more than two households can meet in a private home and stay overnight. Up to 15 people, which can include children from no more than three households, can meet up outdoors in a private garden. Uh, Nathan Carter, of course, is one of Ireland's uh, biggest uh, acts. So if it was his home, do we take it? He got the biggest fine of the €1,000 for hosting the party. But then why did only 14 of the 50 people get a £200 fine uh, each? Anyway, we will await with great interest the statement from Nathan's management later on. But our Dennis absolutely disgusted with Nathan Carter that he went on to hold a house party, which I'm really surprised by because he's in an industry that has been absolutely decimated because of COVID. I mean, only the other day we had Tommy Fleming um, when we discovered that there would be no live music allowed here in Ireland in the South when 
the hotels and the restaurants start to open and Tommy was talking about you know the musicians but not just the singers and the musicians the roadies the people that do the sound engineer the lighting crew the people that do the merchandising there's, like, there's a whole crew of people involved with any of these concerts and obviously Nathan Carter and his gang would all have been hugely affected by COVID so I would be really surprised and wait for to hear Nathan's justification as to what was going on in that house but to have a house party with up at least 50 people present is really really surprising as I say we will wait later today because that story is only broken this morning we'll wait and see what is Nathan's defence 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 we're going to take a break and we are back with Peter Dowdle answering your questions. Court today on Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com when your skin feels nourished and glows you radiate confidence osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean clinically proven mega moisture duo this seaweed powered duo features two of osea's best sellers andaria algae body oil and andaria collagen body lotion glow from the inside out get 10 percent off your first order with code glow at oseamalibu.com that's o-s-e-a malibu.com code glow C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103 Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen For top quality plants, advice and value think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres C103 and Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Peter. Can you hear me, Peter? Hello, Peter. OK, I can hear Peter, but for some reason, Peter is not hearing me. Uh, I've got a button. Uh, no, they're all down. I can clearly hear Peter tapping away, uh, but for some reason, uh, no, that's not going to have. Hello, Peter. No, OK, we're going to have to get uh, John Paul to work on what is happening there uh, and we'll see uh, because he's just not hearing me for some reason. OK, uh, lots of, still getting lots of calls in reacting to Stephen and that low flying plane. Lots of people in North Cork saying they're seeing it on a daily basis. But here's Andrew from Charleville, a man in the know. That twin engined plane that people are talking to you about, it flies over us here in Charleville three to four times per day and you 
particularly see it in good weather. I tracked it on the flight radar app and it identifies as a G-registered aircraft out of Cork Airport. It is a training aircraft. So that's the explanation. OK, is Peter back with us? OK, is Peter there? Peter Dowdell, good afternoon to you. I am, Ah, sorry, How Mika, are you? Not too bad. I, I could hear you in the background, but I just, uh, we weren't able to hear you, hear you properly. OK, let me get straight into lots of uh, texts and questions in because it's been lovely weather bit miserable today now but it's been it's been fabulous weather and people have been hopefully out and about enjoying their garden but here's a lovely text that came in uh, it's from Sheila to say Hi for the day that's in it with your gardening slot I thought I would tell you and Peter what I did my border hadn't been dug for about three or four years my excuse was I was leaving it wild for the butterflies and the bees nettles and weeds were waist high and I really couldn't face digging it out so I scattered some pony nuts into it and I let my pet pig in he literally tore up the thistles and the nestles by the roots and I now only have to dig it over and get out planting isn't that a great eco way to do <laughs> Fantastic. it Fantastic! absolutely I love it absolutely. If, only I had a, if only I had a pig I was just going to say all we all need is like Sheila to have a pet pig. Okay. Uh, And and another person in with advice saying something was eating my marigolds in the patio. So I put a small bunch of wild garlic from the garden amongst the marigolds. Hey presto, it worked. They're all fine now. That's fabulous. And I wonder what was eating them because wild garlic and normal garlic, any of those kind of alliums will... um will deter aphids and things like that, like green fly, white fly and all those kind of aphids. But marigolds should as well. So it's probably not an aphid. I wonder what it was, but it's good to know. And that's just uh, 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 plant companions. Not That's not the term. Uh, I'm trying to think of the term, but it's just using plants to help other plants, if you like. But it's and, great. Uh, it's fantastic. But it's great the way, you know, they are very eco-friendly ways, environmentally friendly ways of controlling something that's going wrong, isn't it? Well, like I'm, I'm a scratch record for going on about it, Trish. But like, I mean, if you go pre World War Two, there were no garden chemicals, uh, and they had fantastic gardens. And we've we've all fallen foul or fallen victim to, to the marketing of these garden chemicals in the in the last sixty or seventy years. But absolutely, they're not needed. Yeah, I saw somebody uh, only during the week out spraying. The, the verge outside his house and I just got so annoyed when I saw it because I lost a cat a number of years ago to uh, Gramoxone poisoning and they reckon the cat had just walked over and of course licked her paws and a small cat needs the smallest amount and it was just dreadful. It's just dreadful. So you've got to be really, really careful if you're going down that route of uh, spraying. Okay, let's get straight into questions. I've got a Japanese maple tree. I got it as a present. I haven't set it yet. To be honest, I don't know much about the Japanese maple tree. It's red in colour. That's all I know. I'd like to ask uh, Peter, does it lose its leaves in winter or anything else? Any suggestions as to where I should plant it? OK, well, yeah, the Japanese, Japanese maples, plural, if you like, because there are dozens of different, if not hundreds of different varieties of Japanese maple. But they're, they tend to be, particularly the ones that we would grow here, they tend to be all uh, cultivars of, of Acer palmatum, right? And... The, the red leaf form, it could it could be atropurpureum, it could be crimson queen, it could, there's dozens of them, as I say, but they all uh, they all require the same 
conditions if you like so they want a soil which is ideally slightly acidic in its ph so a ph of slightly seven or under now in honesty trisha i've found that they're not that ph sensitive but much more important for them is that the the, the soil that they're in isn't waterlogged because they can be prone to getting fungal infection so you don't want them to be in very damp soil they just won't tolerate it uh, and then probably the most important thing of all is shelter from the wind they do not like and they will not tolerate being in a windy position so what i always kind of think is good advice particularly with the new japanese maple if it's growing in a pot like it is at the moment well position that pot in a few in somewhere position the pot where you'd like to plant it first so in other words if you want to plant it in a particular part of the garden put it over there now pot and all don't plant it and see if it likes that position in terms of the wind you'll know quick enough if it doesn't because you'll start seeing signs of wind burn and the tips of the leaves and the stems will all start shriveling and that's that's wind burn so then you'll know okay it's not happy here so I won't plant it here and then move it to somewhere else and keep moving it and this might take a year or more uh, but keep moving it until till you know that okay it seems very happy here and then plant it there um, so shelter from the wind not waterlogged soil and ideally acid soil and it's beautiful oh they're absolutely one of the nicest yeah. trees you could have they're gorgeous yeah they really are now Carla sent us in an email that I think John Paul has sent on to you saying hi Peter do you know what type of weed this is and how to treat it it has great big roots and it's growing into a drain pipe in the dark underground any solutions and it does look like it's, it's a huge big root has gone into the drain pipe we have unfortunately and I've just seen this photograph literally in the last few seconds but unfortunately I can't make out I can just see the the kind of mud and and the root I can't see any stem or foliage so I don't know no I'm good but I'm not that good it's hard to work out Um, what it is isn't it because I can't see any foliage yeah Um, so I'm looking at everything she's shown me there. So there's the drain pipe, if you like, or the, where the drain pipe was. I don't know is a short answer. If, the, if there is anything else that she could show us in, in terms of foliage or stems coming out of that root system, I'll try and identify it. It looks, it, the, the only thing I can say is it looks like a tree root. Uh, and roots, uh, uh, Trish, believe it or not, I mean, plants are intelligent. So uh, I know people are listening to the radio and going, did, did, did he actually just say that? But they are. Uh, and what I mean by that is they have what's called this meristematic region to their root system which is their smart the the equivalent of our smart stuff that's the smart zone of their root system and it it, the meristematic region um determines what way the root should travel so it starts sensing where there's water and where there's nutrient and that's what that's why roots go in in particular ways Uh, none of it's left a chance so some plants will have a i suppose for want of a better word they'll be more sensitive to water and they'll actually go in search of water in pipes and things like that, particularly willows, some of the poplars uh, and things like that. And this picture, whilst I can't identify exactly what it is, it does illustrate the risk of planting certain trees too near to to septic tanks and drainage areas and and drains uh, because they can cause untold trouble, particularly if there's a crack in the pipe, the root will get in and just make it worse and worse and worse. So it is just something to be careful of, but unfortunately, no, I can't give it a So we need need pictures of the the foliage of what grows out from that uh, root and you might be able to identify it then. So Carla, if you want to get back on to us on that. Uh, Michael and Bantry, I recently purchased an oak half barrel my plan is to use it for a miniature pond. Do I have to seal it? Says Michael. Well, yes, you will, yeah, because it, it will. Um, it, the water will seep out, obviously. Otherwise, um, so you would seal it. There are there are sealant paints you can get. Um, 
I know uh, Atkins on the straight road in Cork certainly used to, and I'm sure they probably still do, uh, the, do a range of sealant products for ponds. So I would steer you towards Atkins on the straight road. No, that, that's not to single them out over any other garden centre. I'm sure there are other garden centres that do them as well. I just know from my own experiences that that used to be where I would go to get stuff. But you, you, you could line it with a pond liner, uh, but equally there are kind of... They're nearly like rubber paints that you paint on to seal it. So, so that's probably what I would use. Maurice says, is now the time to cut back Pyrrhus and to feed it? And if so, with what? Uh, if it's finished flowering, now Pyrrhus are those beautiful ones, Trish, the, you know, the forest flame where you yeah, have lovely new gorgeous. that lovely red and it's real stunners of plants. Uh, but they actually flower as well. So they, they have these racemes of lovely white lily of the valley type flowers. So if yours has finished flowering, well then, yes, now is the time to cut it back because I was just admiring one the other day that was still in full bloom so I wouldn't dream of cutting it back yet. But if yours is finished flowering, then yes, cut it back uh, and you can feed it. But then if it's an established plant, in other words, if it's been in the ground for more than a couple of years and if it's good, showing good red gro- new growth and it's flowering well for you, well then an established shrub really shouldn't need much in feeding. If it's looking a bit hungry, so there there are two things that you could look at. If it's if it's yellowing of the leaf and it's it's not looking great, then it could be a lack of iron because pyrus are another plant that like a, a slightly lower pH, like an acid or ericaceous soil. If they don't have that, they won't curl up and die, but they won't thrive. And one of the ways you'd see it is yellowing of the leaves, that they can't get the iron from the soil. So you then need to feed them with the iron in, in a form that's available to the plant roots. So that's in a chelated or sequestered form. So if your pyrus is, is healthy and green and good red growth and good flowers I wouldn't need, there's no need to feed it if it is looking a bit yellow uh, if the foliage is looking a bit yellow then yes feed it with sequestered or chelated iron uh, and that will drive it on Breather, hi uh, Peter can I cut back a large lilac bush it's now gone over 6 foot will it grow back, will it flower next year and do I cut it back after flowering, many thanks Okay, well, the answer, and I wonder is the same question, because I've seen this question a few times over the last few days in emails and on Facebook, and I wonder if it's the same person. And if it is, uh, uh, the the answer is yes, you can cut it back, but I'm slow to advise cutting it back because lilac, and the time to do it is yes, after flowering. So, you know, again, if, if yours is finished now, you could cut it back now. If it isn't, just wait another couple of weeks. The reason I'm hesitant to do it is because it, they tend not to respond well to being cut back. Uh, not that you'll harm the tree as such or the shrub, but uh, when you cut it back, it produces a lot more growth, but it's foliage growth, not flower growth. So um, you you won't, like a lot of shrubs, the more you prune them back, the more flowers are going to produce, but not so with lilac. It tends to produce a lot more leafy growth for the next few years if you do it. So the answer to your question is yes, you can cut it back. The time is around about now, as soon as the flowers finish, uh, but I'll leave it to yourself whether you want to with the knowledge that w- once you cut it back, You'll be, it will replace, it will grow again, but with lots of leaf growth as opposed to flower growth. Hi, Helena. Hi, uh, Peter. My wedding tear tree. I know Peter has a different name for this tree. All the leaves are gone from the branches, but there are still some on the main stem. What could be the cause of it? Wedding tear tree. With the, yeah, there's actually two or three plants that are referred to as the wedding tear or wedding cake tree, but I'm guessing that it's Cornus controversa variegata, which is a mouthful of a name, but for an absolutely beautiful, beautiful tree. And it's the common name is very descriptive because it grows in these tiers just like a wedding cake, and it's a stunning, stunning specimen if grown well. But uh, I, I, I'm nervous when I hear the description of the problem. I, I really would like to see a picture, but 
it does sound like a fungal infection and and these cornus controversies are can be quite prone to it um the only thing that you see normally when when we would have an infection like this trish as, as i've often given the advice in your program is to, to remove the infected growth and then to treat it and to feed it but you see if we remove the infected growth from this cornice you lose that lovely tiered effect you because you, you might be cutting out a lot of the tears so i would try doing two of the three steps here which is to drench the plant and to drench the soil around it with a solution of, of copper sulfate mixed with water this is a, an organic broad spectrum fungicide which will control a lot of fungal problems in the soil that may have got into the tree so that's the first course of action a solution of copper sulfate and water the second thing to do is to drench again the, the, the soil around the plant with the nature safe liquid seaweed uh, it's a very very good irish made organic rich plant food that will try and drive it on and increase the vigor of that plant to make it more uh, resistant and stronger if you like in terms of getting over this infection um, normally what I'd recommend is to prune out any infected growth as well however as I just said in this case you might be completely destroying the shape so I'd rather not prune out infected growth at the moment see if the the medicine if you like the, the copper sulfate cures the infection and the branches that are there some or all of them may leaf up again they may not, unfortunately, but they may. And the last important thing is to, uh, it's good plant hygiene. Make sure that you're not leaving infected leaves or dead stems around the base of the plant because it will only make the problem worse. But I'm afraid I'm going to cross my fingers across okay. both, both fingers on both hands with that one because it may or may not be successful. Okay, uh, a listener from the Fomoy Rathgormick area. Hi, uh, Peter. Could I have the name of a supplier of bark mulch? I need to buy it by the trailer load because of a very large area to cover. Do you have any recommendations for bark mulch in large quantities? Uh, the the only people that I could think of, and they're, they're who I use myself when I'm doing gardens for people, is um, Noblewood Landscapes. Noblewood, no, it depends where you are, of course, but they're in Cork. They're, 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 they're online, obviously, so you can order it online. Uh, but I know they're, they're outside Carrigline, they're in Cork, but they do different, different ranges and different... Um, what am I trying to say? Different grades of bark mulch. You have everything from a very fine grade up to your normal park chip. Uh, so I would get on to them uh, and. Um, and what are they called again? Get on with them. No, what did you call them? Noblewood. Noble, 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 Noblewood. Noblewood. Okay. Hi. Tell, uh, tell them Peter sent that you. Will do. Uh, Mary says hi. Uh, could you ask Peter, please? How can I get rid of buttercups in my lawn? They're spreading all over. They actually seem to be killing off the grass. Keep up the great work. Now I love buttercups, but if it's killing off the grass, obviously Mary doesn't. How did you get rid of buttercups? I love them too. Oh, I was admiring great. them in a public space the other day. They, they really, I just love the colour of them. But yes, creeping buttercup will kill off the grass, and it, it is that. So, like, I remember the first time, Trish, that we, we had a question regarding weeds of the lawn, you and I, and it, I, I'm going to say 20 years ago. I hate to say probably a few more years now than 20 years ago, but we'll say 20 years ago. And I remember saying quite tongue in cheek, "Oh, learn to love the daisies, and yeah. learn to love the buttercups." And 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 since then, I've become less tongue in cheek about it and more vehement about it. To, to the point of now, I'm saying it not tongue in cheek at all. I'm encouraging people to learn to love the, the weeds. So first of all, learn to love the buttercups. But if you can't, uh, and if they really are wrecking your head, then it's just a bit of it's a, just a bit of donkey work. I'm afraid. I'm certainly not going to recommend any chemical to to start pouring on the lawns to to kill them off. So, but they will come out quite easy. But it's just in that the, the root system isn't deep. But you, it's it's just going to be time. You need to get in there really with a hand trowel. There's no point scarifying it because particularly if it's creeping buttercup because you're only pruning it and spreading the problem. You really actually need to get in there with a hand trowel or a hand fork and dig up each individual one. Uh, but once you do that, and the whole thing about 
if, if you want good quality green grass lawn with no weeds and no moss, the whole thing is about good grass growth, healthy grass growth. It's not about pouring on weed killers and chemicals. It's about maintaining good, healthy grass growth. And you do that uh, from maintaining correct pH for grass growth, which is slightly alkaline. You do that with scarifying it once. It's a lot of work. It, there is a lot of work, but that is the best way. So you go out there now, and there's a lot of work to remove the buttercup, uh, but then to maintain the lawn uh, with optimum conditions is the best way to stop it coming back. Okay, good luck with that. Ours, Peter says, learn to love the buttercups. Uh, Sheila says, hi, uh, Peter. I set pyracantha red column shrubs. I was watering them with a mixture of seaweed liquid feed. The leaves got very big and out of proportion. I wonder, did I kill them with kindness? Advice appreciated, says Sheila. Well, I, I, the, the seaweed feed, whichever you were using, may well have cause the leaves to get too big absolutely but I, w- I wonder when you say kill them with kindness I wonder is the end of that question that they died or is it just that the leaves have got bigger so um I would say yes you can overfeed things absolutely you could you can kill plants by overfeeding them so that there's a short answer to a, 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 the question uh, so that is possible yes you can give them too much nutrients so you can kill a plant with kindness uh, and as I say an established plant you shouldn't need feeding at all but new pyracanthas will, will benefit from it but if it's just that the leaves have got a bit big, too big at the moment I wouldn't worry about it lay off the feeding and just make sure they're getting enough water over the long hot dry summer that I know we're going to enjoy um, uh, and I'd say you should be okay Okay, hi Peter. Is now the right time to cut back heathers? The flowers are just going off. Yes, uh, and heathers are one that they're they're an easy one to remember if you like that, because depending, believe it or not, Trish, depending on your choice of heather, you could have a heather in the garden in flower for each of the twelve months of the year, with 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 a few different. So you have spring flowering, summer flowering, winter flowering. So depending on which variety you have, uh, and as with this color, it's obviously a spring one because it's finishing flowering now. So depending on which ones you have, you just cut them back when they're finished flowering. And the way to cut them back is quite simple and quite straightforward. You want them to grow horizontally around the ground. You don't want them to grow up towards the sky. So to, to encourage them to do that, just with a scissors, uh, or if they're if they're thicker, even a head shears, you just prune them to keep them flat. Now make sure you're leaving greenery below your cut. You don't cut into any brown or, or brown or, or foliage any wood with no foliage make sure you're leaving greenery below your cut but just there's no mystery to it just cut them as flat as you can to encourage them to grow sideways and a final one from Greta in Crookstown to say I'm after growing hydrangeas from slips well done Greta they're coming on fine but I'm wondering is it too soon to take them out of the pots and put them into the ground I would say, yeah, if you, if you, if you, depending when you've took the cuttings, if it's only been this season, like in the last month or two, then I would say, yes, it's, it's, it's too soon. You may as well leave them, their root system established a bit more, but yeah, and plant them out then in a month or two. Okay, all right. Have you a busy week? Are you very busy at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy until 2025 I think Trish thanks be to yeah. God I suppose the whole world has gone gardening so it makes us busier and on this Friday on you know I do the Facebook live now yeah. on Friday answering questions as well at one o'clock on the Irish Gardener on Facebook and I'll be joined this week by I know a lot of people would like to see him again it's Darren Joyce he was the winner of Super Garden in 2018 uh, he he did that garden like the with the the lock the, the lock was gate beautiful. Was, remember. Yeah, it was it's beautiful. Stunning. So he's joining me for a chat about that on Friday on one o'clock on Facebook's Irish, the Irish Gardener. Okay, look forward to that. Listen, Peter, have a good week, and we'll chat to you next Wednesday. Thank you. Thanks for that. That Thanks. is uh, Peter Dowdle at the Irishgardener dot com. Hi, Patricia. You were talking about the shortage of bins earlier near the leisure centre in Mitchellstown. There is a lovely green area with seats. The area is destroyed with litter every weekend. Well, 
there are plenty of bins there. Joe says young people just don't seem to care, which is awful when there's bins available and people still decide to throw them on the ground. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 at the Lampert Messenger. Good afternoon. Stay safe. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.